GrowCFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using GrowCFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the GrowCFO show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today we're going to the world of the transaction. I've got Mike Hennebury with me. And Mike is a veteran of the private equity business. Mike's actually coming up to celebrating his 30th year. He first got involved in buyouts in 1992, and he's just completed the first big deal of his from his latest organization, Titan Partners. So, Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kevin. Real pleasure to be here. So, Mike, uh, we've just... Uh, launched in Grow CFO, our transaction simulator, which is helping finance leaders work their way through a major transaction and give them experience of doing it, albeit with a simulation rather than a real deal. But you've been through a lot of real deals in your career. Would you like to tell us a little bit more about your background? Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, I'll, I'll try and give you the, um, the flight overview and then uh, we can dig down into a bit more detail as, as you see fit. But uh, I started out uh, in corporate finance in 1992, which was really a bit of an escape from um, a career in the accounts profession, which had gone away from audit into corporate recovery. But um, whilst I was learning a lot about how cash flow works in the corporate recovery world, I was finding the, uh, the process of uh, cremating businesses, burying them or cremating them uh, a little bit negative and, and wanted to move into the more positive world of corporate finance. Uh, of course, there was a recession, quite a deep recession going on at that time, but it was still a pretty good time to learn uh, some of the basics. I was lucky enough to work with some really good guys uh, in uh, what was then um, Guinness Marm, but is now known as Investec. People like Jack Clipsham and David Wilton, who are still around in the, in the finance mm -hmm. scene. Uh, great guys to be learning from. They were sort of two Absolutely. or three years ahead of me, um, but keen to help me to get up the learning curve. I was working with uh, a real uh, great transaction originator in the Birmingham uh, office of Guinness Mann, a guy called Paul Whelan. Uh, but Paul, like a lot of mercurial uh, deal leaders, didn't really like doing that much of the heavy lifting, I think even he would admit. So it was a great opportunity for me because I was doing everything from uh, sending the faxes, making the coffee, doing the photocopying to actually writing uh, some of the transaction documentation, which I probably shouldn't have been doing at that early stage of my career, but uh, but it's a great learning, way to learning learn. a lot by getting yeah. it wrong initially uh, for yeah. clients like Bijan Sedji at uh, Bromsgrove Industries, who was a fantastic and actually very patient uh, client for me at that time. Stephen Mills was his uh, kind of uh, corporate finance uh, lieutenant, and Stephen's a super experienced guy. So doing deals with guys like this when you're really kind of still wearing short trousers was uh, enormously good experience. I quickly realized that if I wanted to get to the sharp end, I had to go, sadly, it's the truth, from the provinces to London. And I did that with Price Waterhouse. And uh, that proved to be a fantastic three years where I got more heavily into the buyout world, away from sort of core M&A and into the buyout world, doing deals with uh, people like what was then NatWest Ventures, of course, now Bridgepoint. Some of the guys I was doing deals with are still there running the Bridgepoint business uh, and were great guys to do deals with, Rod Sell, Kirk uh, and Guy Weldon amongst them. Uh, and then also Montague. And in the end, Montague Private Equity tapped me on the shoulder and said, look, you know, stop advising these management teams, come and join us on uh, 
doing the deals, kind of gamekeeper turned poacher, which I did, Julie did and worked with uh, incredible guys like Alex Schinder, Chris Marson, Richard Connell, uh, et al. Uh, Alex Betts, of course, was in there too. And um, learned a lot in that five-year period with Montague, became a partner. Uh, but of course, you know, kind of junior partner with quite a lot of people ahead of you in the food chain. And that's when opportunity rose to, to join Gresham, which was planning to spin out of Zurich, but that was really just a twinkle in the eye of the CEO at the time. It, it was no guarantee that that would happen. But in 2002, uh, we duly executed that spin out. And, and there I was at 35, uh, owner manager of a private equity house that, you know, had done its own buyout. Um, uh, busman's holiday, if you like, you know, so uh, that proved to be a very exciting time in my career because between 2003 and 2006, we raised about a billion dollars for two uh, independent private equity funds with approximately 20 uh, limited partner institutional investors, insurance companies, pension funds behind us. And what was exciting for me was that the deals that I was doing at that time were powering the growth of Gresham I and mean, obviously other people were contributing but um, uh, and I would never lay claim to all the deals that I led being my deals because deals are done in, in teams but nevertheless the deals I was leading were making rapid and quick returns of the order of two and a half three and a half four times money um, and in fact one or two six seven times money deals as well so it was an exciting time um, around about 2009 the politics was getting uh, a little bit excessive and uh I moved on because I had an idea to start a credit fund, which which I duly did, a company which we called Palio. Uh, we got to within a whisker of uh, floating that as an independent company. Four years later, the initial plan had been to raise a private fund. We got backing from uh, the European Investment Fund, but sadly not the British government, although the British government had promised to give us money. Uh, for political reasons, I won't bore you with, they didn't. But instead of just quit, we decided to go down the quoted route and, and very nearly pulled it off. Actually, we had about 130 million queued up for a new IPO in late 2012, <laughs> only to be scuppered by a rogue regulator in Guernsey. Uh, the least we should say about him, the better. But uh, suffice to say that I hope he's duly in retirement, uh, enjoying a gin and tonic somewhere, somewhere on a faraway desert island with no plans to come back out of retirement, because really he's... His ineptitude cost me my IPO and also quite a lot of money. It was a very frustrating time. I had a yeah. green light from the London market, you know, probably the high, most highly regulated market in the world, and, a, and an unexplained amber light from Guernsey, which apparently was due to the fact that the regulator spent most of his time in the pub uh, and was planning to retire and just didn't want to give a green light to something that he didn't understand, you know. So it wasn't, uh, he wasn't, if you like, uh, trying to get in my way specifically, it was just, um, you know, he was almost scared of his own shadow. So there you go. Uh, but it, it does show that in in these deals, transactions and so on, that you can be technically yeah. absolutely fine. And it's something like that can come along luck, and blindside you. Luck plays a part. Yeah. So we ended up, uh, by virtue of that, I wanted to keep my team together. So we ended up in a French hedge fund. Uh, there was a logic to that. They were allegedly Europe's leading liquid credit hedge fund. Um, but for various reasons, I mean, obviously private equity credit is not liquid. So, you know, you've got liquid versus illiquid. You've got French versus British. It really was a mismatch of cultures. And, and they saw protection investment as being your ability to trade out of it instantly, which, of course, they could with their liquid credit because they could go switch on the computer and literally sell it for a price at any moment. 
Of course, with a private equity credit, you cannot do that. And um, therefore, their perception of the risks that we were taking, uh, I don't think was uh, was correct. Um, in fact, they turned down some incredibly good deals that we were pulling together, including, for example, supporting the U-Switch team uh, in a business which at that time was being valued at 70-ish million and within 18 months have been sold for two and a half times that. But, um, you know, our, our hedge fund didn't want to participate. So it was quite a frustrating time. And, and that's what led me into e-commerce in 2014. I just jumped ship out of the uh, the hedge fund while I was still alive uh, and uh, and then had this five or six year detour in, um, in e-commerce, which led to a company called Fabify, which we're still raising money for and planning an IPO for in a, around 18 months time. We help big fashion brands to exit their overstock in a sustainable way, which of course is a big issue in fashion where there's a lot of waste and we're partnering with the brands to do that. Mm-hmm. But of course you need to scale to be big, to be even remotely helpful to big brands. So we're in the process Absolutely. of doing that in the next 18 months. And then I ended up in Spain really by virtue of a personal situation, which I needed to extract myself from in London and um, came to my bear where I had property. Uh, and in the course, by then I was really wasn't, that heavily involved in the day-to-day management of the fashion company, although it's a big investment for me. Uh, we're bringing in a more seasoned retail and uh, uh, and digital team to manage that business, um, which makes sense, obviously, for a future IPO. Uh, so then I was scratching my head, trying to figure out what I'd be doing and where I should go, you know, and that led to writing a book, which is really a playbook for uh, owner-managers and entrepreneurs on how you create value in businesses, uh, a kind of distillation of everything I think I've learned over the last 30 years, some things I've forgotten, uh, and then other things that I think people I've worked with have uh, brought to the party. So I've also got chapters, guest chapters, if you like, by people that I think can really add a lot of value to entrepreneurs so that they've got everything in one place, um, including, for example, a chapter on innovation by a guy called Dr. Dave Richards, who's one of my partners in Titan and is probably the leading authority on innovation globally. Uh, set up the MIT Innovation Lab in the mid-90s, led the team that created the internet in the early 90s, and has consulted to companies like Apple, Microsoft, and even NASA on the wow. of innovation. So uh, yeah. he's quite an interesting guy. And what's really shocking about Dave's innovation uh, learnings really is that um, most companies are really poor at innovation. And of course, my other big sort of theme from the book is that uh, people who are born in my generation, I call myself a baby, baby boomer, having been born in 1964, we've actually lived and worked already through two industrial revolutions and we're about to clock up a third by 2030, the fifth industrial revolution is likely to be with us. And our grandfather's generation might have lived through one industrial revolution, they certainly wouldn't have worked through three. Absolutely. So the pace of change is accelerating, it's exponential. Next year will be faster pace of change than last. This year was a faster pace of change than the year before. And guess what's required to combat that? Innovation. So innovation is going up the agenda, not down the agenda. And Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, most companies are bad at it. What I've learned through Dr. Dave is that really innovation is, um, is a communication thing. So Dave, when he goes into a company, starts by helping the management team to communicate with each other, because as we all know, there are companies that work in silos where marketing doesn't talk to finance and finance doesn't talk to sales. Uh, so the first thing is to get the management team humming and purring and uh, working together. Then that filters down through the organization. And then guess what? Out to the customers, because once that communication is working better, you can understand 
a lot Absolutely. better what the customer wants and needs in the future because obsessing about what the customer requires is how we grow, um, which, of course, is a Jeff Bezos uh, uh, yeah. you know, takeaway. Uh, I mean, Bezos obsesses about what the customer wants, um, literally probably lies awake at night thinking about it, and that's what we have to do in business to, uh, to grab innovation, to grab that opportunity and sustain growth. Yeah, uh, here's, here's you and I it's of, a, of a similar age, Mike. Now, yeah. I still remember that day when I was sitting in the office as a learning to be a chartered accountant in the audit department, and this thing turns up on the desk called an IBM PC. Yeah. And we also looked at it and scratched our heads and thought, what on earth does that do? Yeah, yeah. And then we yeah. saw this program on it that was called SuperCalc, and it was, oh, a spreadsheet. Oh, that's like yeah. a piece of analysis paper. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I suppose that that was our the first real industrial revolution of of our totally, generation. Totally was, totally was. And now we're at the stage that yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I'm here as part of the management team of a an internet based business. You're looking at digital offerings potentially to back this book up as it comes out. Yeah. Wow, we have come a long way. Yeah, yeah. I think totally. that that next industrial revolution is going to be all about. Well, there's going to be automation really the, taking the fourth industrial revolution is really that we're in the midst of now is really about the dehumanization of the workforce. Uh, the fifth industrial revolution is allegedly going to be about machines and humans dancing together. So, you know, we're going to be working in, in sympathy with machines, we hope. I mean, that's the plan, uh, of course. Who even knows? It's it even sounds a little Orwellian, doesn't it? Um, it does. And that, machines and people dancing together. But but look, I don't think anybody really knows. You know yeah. what future industrial revolutions will really entail, um, except that we know that each one is happening at a at a faster pace than the, yeah. the gap between the last two. You know, and um, what that entails is the need for more innovation uh, because that's the only way to combat. Uh, this ubiquitous change that's around us, surrounding us in every industry, every sector, every geography, you know. Uh, I, I see things coming true that were written by one of my heroes as a as a youngster, one one Douglas Adams who wrote the Hitchhiker's yeah. the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I vividly remember the part about uh, the Sirius Cybernetics Corporation inventing <laughs> machines with personalities. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and one particular invention was the the elevator that that could see into the future, designed yeah. so that the elevator would know which floor you were going to be on before you got there. So it was always yeah. left waiting for you and you, it knew where it wanted to take you. Yeah. But of yeah. course the technology went wrong. So the, the, the elevators could see so far into the future and decide they didn't like it. They just took to sulking in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so they definitely have personality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's all going to come true in the next few years. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, who, who even knows? Yeah, and I, I think one one thing we've had to do uh, in our generation is uh, adapt and pivot, and uh, both of us have certainly done that. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And our our career that started for me in the same way as you in audit, I pivoted yeah. into management consulting. You yeah. pivoted into um, corporate recovery finance. Yeah, we've both pivoted subsequently into e-commerce, online yeah. business, and so on. Yeah, absolutely. And pivoting yeah. is going to be something. I yeah. think it's here to stay. And I, I think it's going to be even more important for the generations that are coming up behind us. Totally. Yeah. 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 So, Mike, 
these days you, you touched on it as you talk, talked about the, the book that you've currently and I should make it clear for the, the listener that, that book at the moment isn't published it's it's in production as we say sitting in but, Ohio with a ghostwriter even as we speak uh, yeah. Caitlin Freeman is is is, uh, is toiling away. Poor poor lady has got to go through ninety thousand of uh, my words and uh, try and make sense of them. So so we think it's going to be Easter before that. Uh, yeah. So maybe we have another show. chat on the show when that's actually hit. Yeah, that'd be nice. But you touched there a little bit on Titan Partners. Tell me about Titan Partners. Yeah, so in the course of writing the book, uh, I had a very kind in, uh, invitation to podcast, just as we are now in the US. Uh, and uh, in the course of doing that uh, with a company called Superior Digital, um, I happened to mention um, innovation in one of those discussions, in one of those podcasts. But I was kind of scratching my head at dinner that night thinking, yeah, but, you know, how do we make innovation happen? Who really knows how to make it happen. Uh, and I started researching it and found this guy, Dr. Dave Richards on LinkedIn. He'd written a book called The Seven Sins of Innovation. So I started stalking Dave, reached out to him, uh, invited him to come on a podcast, which he duly did. We got on like a house on fire. And within a month, he was part of my new, uh, newly constructed Titan Partners, um, which uh, includes not only uh, Dr. Dave Richards, but also Phil Howard, who's my Fabify colleague, who's a great mentor for uh, founders of, of, of any company, whether they're doing a startup or a scale up, because he's done that successfully a few times from gone from small to big. Uh, and then I've got a, another colleague who's uh, right now working for uh, a large uh, American fund manager, but is uh, more of a compliance uh, background, but, uh, but actually is multi-talented with some good marketing skills to understand things like accounting and tax, which funnily enough, I'm not a huge fan of, despite being a chartered accountant from all exactly. Those are the things and, we deliberately chose to to forget about thirty and, years ago, weren't they? Of course. They? And, in, and in reality, you know, a lot of us were square pegs and in, in round holes, and we kind of knew it, and we're trying to figure out where to go. And one of the things I've really discovered latterly uh, in life is that I'm really a misplaced creative who happened to find himself in finance and then had to figure a path through, which for me was about. Uh, creating deals, you know, uh, but, you know, one of my passions is the, is the movers, you know, well, no surprise because I'm a creative and look, after I've finished this book, I still think I've maybe got a movie in me, but uh, let's see, that's, uh, let's that's, see. A separate, yeah. that's a separate future game plan, you know. Yeah. Why not? Why not? So, it won't be about finance. I can tell you that. Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I could, I could see a good film and doing a deal because, Surely one of the things as that deal process is going on is the, the interpersonal relationships, the way yeah. people get on with each other. And the, the, if if you played enough personal backstories into that, surely there is a movie in there. You probably right? could do that, actually. Yeah. 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 Maybe we should do maybe we should do the movie of Wise <laughs> and have to talk to Simon Hills about that. I'm sure he'd love that. <laughs> so Wise, that's the, the first big deal that you've done with with Titan. Tell me a little yeah. bit about it. Yeah, well, it came about because Simon Hills, the CEO, and I have known each other for nearly 20 years because Simon's father and I are good friends. And, and so I've known Simon since he was a teenager. When he was in his 20s, he and, his, he and I and his dad were playing golf together. Then we were skiing together a few times, not far from here in Sierra Nevada, uh, up behind Granada in the hills. Um, so we've known, we've known each other a long time. And last late last summer, uh, I'm talking about 20... Uh, 
2020, uh, so not long after the pandemic, Simon started talking to me about this startup um, that he'd already discussed with me that I knew was an offering in the um, in the last mile delivery space. And essentially, Simon had created an application, having previously worked for an accounting company called Securitax, which was servicing last mile delivery drivers. Simon saw the opportunity to create, create some onboarding software, which would help the main contractors who are basically gifted routes by the likes of Amazon and DPD, and then need to find drivers to fulfill those routes. But those drivers are not employed by the main contractors, they're actually self-employed. And so what WISE does is to help the drivers to save money by uh, offering what is essentially volume discounts on things like insurance on the vans, uh, health insurance, pensions, and on and on. And in the end, really, what WISE will likely become over time is... Um, is a kind of money supermarket offering for the self-employed, not just last mile delivery drivers, but uh, indeed quite possibly construction workers, uh, taxi drivers, maybe even personal trainers. Uh, and, uh, and as you probably know, there's well over 5 million self-employed in the UK. So absolutely, uh, this gig economy, as it's called, is, um, is a big marketplace. And the great thing about WISE is it's a force for good. You know, it's saving the driver's money. Uh, it's, actually bringing a lot of people who are probably operating in the black economy previously into the tax system. So more taxes being paid as a result. Uh, we're encouraging the drivers. In fact, we're actually on, on their behalf, filling in quarterly VAT returns, annual tax returns, and bringing them into the, the, the system, quite probably in a situation where a lot of these drivers who might be from Romania, Bulgaria, uh, uh, Typically, typically Portugal, it's where the vast majority of them come from. Maybe didn't have a unique tax uh, reference number a few years back, you know, but now they do. Now they're filling in returns, paying the tax, but actually we're doing it in a way which saves them money because we're operating uh, uh, the flat rate VAT scheme, which um, was introduced by the government nearly 20 years ago and actually helps these drivers a little bit uh, uh, to save money. So it's wise as a force for good and... Uh, what I realized pretty quickly was that there was a big opportunity for growth, but um, that we wanted to ensure that somebody didn't come and eat our lunch. And the best way to do that was to get evolved private equity backing sooner rather than later to give the company the firepower to move quickly into these other verticals, which I'm sure they will do with inflection support quite quickly in, uh, in 2022. Uh, but it's not just about acquisitions. Uh, we uh, Inflection have brought in a chairman. They'll, they'll bring in a, CFO, I'm sure, in due course to support the team and its day-to-day uh, -day capabilities. And, you know, private equity always adds value in, in, in deals, particularly a fund like Inflection that have got a fantastic track record. And uh, I'm highly confident that um, we've got the makings of a, of a billion sterling business here in a few years' time, um, but probably with a few acquisitions along the way. Fantastic. So as, you, as you're putting together a deal like that between Wise and Inflection, you're there as, a, as an advisor. Um, to what extent are you looking for, for support from the finance lead in that organisation? Well, interestingly, um, there was a finance lead um, in Securitex, which is the sister company, Securitex, the company that does the, all the accounting, heavy lifting, um, but isn't uh, owned by WISE. Um, and yet was effectively seconding one of its staff to um, 
to do a lot of the financial heavy lifting in terms of preparation of management accounts, uh, statutory accounts, this kind of thing. So slightly unusual situation. And uh, essentially myself and that individual took charge of producing the consolidated um, uh, monthly integrated forecast that you need for a deal of this nature, mm -hmm. balance sheet, P&L, cash flow on a monthly basis, going back 12 or 18 months and going forward two or three years. So myself and uh, uh, Dale Edmonds, the name of the individual at Securitax, helped me you know, on the transaction to pull all that together. Um, and that, I'm sure, helped uh, Inflection and its advisors, particularly Deloitte, who were doing the financial DD, and uh, uh, Ernst & Young, who were doing the, the kind of commercial DD, uh, to get their heads around what the business plan actually meant in terms of its assumptions and uh, how it played yeah. out. Um, so yeah, that's quite a, a big part of uh, the work that's required to get yourself ready for a deal of this nature. And then the other aspect, of course, the other area where there's a lot of heavy lifting is the legal due diligence. And uh, mm. I brought in uh, Graham Muth uh, from Phil Fisher, who's uh, actually been helping me on Fabify, um, and his colleague, Andy Lawton-Smith, uh, uh, who has a lot of private equity experience. That They were very much the A-team on the case, helping the management to pull together their data room to ensure that um, Inflections lawyers, uh, Eversheds, could get through the work they need to get through to get Inflection comfortable with uh, the company. The company is actually, because there was more than one company they were acquiring as part of this, the way that the, the way that WISE was structured. So it was, it was actually quite a complex transaction for a small deal um, yeah. in, in the sense of, when I say small deal, I mean a business that had only been around for two years. Uh, it, it had its complexities in terms of the way the uh, the business had been structured. Uh, they probably hadn't been as well advised as they could have been in, in the way that things had been structured. So we had to unbundle one or two things that had been bundled in certain ways. Um, but it was a good intellectual uh, uh, kind of uh, challenge and one that we managed to do, I think, on a pretty rapid timetable because the way that inflection set their stall out and set themselves apart from other private equity houses was their capability to grab the nettle really and um and get things done because it's so easy to make excuses that um the terms are too vertiginous you know too challenging to meet or the timetable's too fast or there aren't enough uh external advisors to do the work that you required because they're too busy already I, we heard all those excuses, but not from inflection. They just got on with the job. They said the fast. I, I guess it's things like done. that make every transaction different. Yeah, I mean, this is. I think this is why inflection are a top house, you know, because yeah. um, the way I described it to them is they they went for the jugular, you know, and that's if you see a good business, you have to grab it because if you don't, somebody else will. And there were people. Uh, you know, hanging around on the sides who would love to have done this deal probably just weren't quickly enough out of the blocks. One of them was in North America, you know, but um, they certainly had the firepower to do it. We're trying to wine and dine me during the process, but of course I couldn't tell them what was going on. Mm. Um, but we had to keep those relationships there just in case the deal didn't get done. But um, yeah. uh, fortunately, you know, um, the rest is history. And uh, Simon and his team, and it is a very strong management team that he has, built around him um, now have first class private equity backing first class chairman to to take them to the next level yeah and as a finance leader in that sister company you know who knows an awful lot about a transaction yeah well he's learned a lot for sure um yeah, yeah. 
And uh, that's yeah. certainly something we see with, with our growth CFO members, particularly our future CFO community, an awful lot of saying, well, we'd love to be in this sort of space, working with a, a fast-growing startup, moving through the transaction field. But how do you get the role without ever having the experience of done it, doing it before? Because everybody asks when they're recruiting that sort of role, we're, go we're going to market, we're going for, a, for equity backing, give us a CFO that's done it before. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we're hoping that by launching the transaction simulator where you can go through in a, a fairly safe environment and produce all of those documents that you were talking about before, that that gives a potential finance leader in this sort of environment some great experience yeah. that you can then go to a potential new employer and say, yeah, I, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah, well, it's an interesting idea, you know, and it's, um, it's symptomatic of everything that we've been talking about, you know, in terms of innovation now and the shift towards digital uh, and the shift towards the metaverse, if you like. You yes. Know, really, yeah. you're putting through, you're putting your uh, CFO candidates through uh, a metaverse style version of a deal, you know, and um, mm. uh, that will no doubt evolve dramatically over the next uh, two to five years in itself as a package, you know. Um, Absolutely, yes. Uh, just as the flight simulator has, has changed quite a bit over the last 25 years, you know, for, uh, for pilots, you know. That's it. And, the, and certainly an area that I've been involved in working with the, the defence supply chain in, in the UK and realising just how much on defence training grounds gets done on, on simulators rather than with the real thing. Now it's, it's there, it's been around for a while and it's getting bigger and bigger. Well, it's much safer to practice your deal skills without real private equity guys. Uh, yeah. Those very sharp teeth. <laughs> Just it's, it's probably not, a lot safer. All that, you know, not all that frightening. The when you're firing a, a guided missile, not to be oh, firing right. the real thing as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was a great experience for me because I think what it reminded me of is what I enjoyed doing in the private equity business itself, which is working in teams because, Yes. As, as I mentioned earlier, no individual does a deal. Deals get done in teams. Mm -hmm. uh, we need to bring various skill sets to bear. Um, the Phil Fisher legal team were magnificent. Um, quite quite plausibly, uh, Graham Muth is much better at spreadsheets than I am. <laughs> um, but we worked very well as a team. And, uh, you know, my superpower, I think, is... Uh, facilitation. And when, when things did go off course, you know, as, as was always the case... Uh, when I was in uh, private equity, I have this capability to get a few people in a room and uh, find the middle ground and, uh, and uh, get people back in love when they've fallen out of love. You know? And uh, it's when deals go off course um, and you get them back on um, that, uh, you know, that, that, that it becomes a very fulfilling experience. You know? and, and, and for a while, like a lot of deals, this deal was off, uh, but we managed to... Uh, bring it back to life, resuscitate it and, uh, and get it done, you know, and I don't think anybody's going to regret getting it done. It's going to be a fantastic deal for inflection, um, but also a great deal for management. And I th I'd like to think that where I'm bringing uh, an unusual differentiated angle is that because I've looked at deals from all sides, started off as a management advisor, uh, I've been in a management team doing a buyout, uh, I've been a GP in a fund, I've been a GP in a credit fund too, um, and now I've been an entrepreneur, I'm, I'm able to see uh, things from everybody's perspective. And um, 
and that means it, it makes it easier to to find the middle ground when things go slightly off course uh, in a way which is rational you know mike that has been fantastic i think that's a great note to end on congratulations again on that first deal with titan with with wise and inflection and i'm thoroughly looking forward to seeing this book when it escapes the uh so am i the ghostwriter when it gets Um, born out of ohio yeah yeah from barbara to ohio and then down to australia because the lady that's helping us publish it is based in australia and i found her because we were both um basically uh signed up as students of a class that a guy in california was running about uh, book funnels you know digital yeah. book funnels and you know? so otherwise i'd never have found Maya, who's going to be my publisher so it's kind of it's an incredible world we operate in now you know it is yeah absolutely the global village is very well and truly with us once again mike Hennigan, thank you very much for being a guest on this week's gro cfo show mm-hmm.